You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is the second part of our Super Bowl special, the Los Angeles Chalik, uh, with uh, very important shuvas about Los Angeles from uh, Gedele Yisrael, Rav Henkin, Rav Aaron Kotler, or Moshe Feinstein, Zecher, Tzadigim, Mekadishim, Liberocha, all about the expansion of the religious community in Los Angeles and how to deal with um, the other denominations, as it would be, the other parts of the religious community, and how the West was a little bit different than the East, and the understanding that principles that were being hardlined other places might be a little bit finessed in the West. And there's also a very long, I apologize for its length, but I was really, uh, I felt it was a COVID to uh, the Besden that was dealing with what I call the Malibu Machlekes. And it, uh, and you'll hear um, uh, about a actual Din Torah that occurred and uh, about, um, and I think it was reflective of life in LA, but also I think we can take out some principles for us as well. So that is part two of the Super Bowl special, Los Angeles, coming up here on Chuva Zupayskim. I hope it's really super for you. Be well. Of course, it has a Los Angeles connection. This is a, a little bit of a, of a bridge to Los Angeles, where a similar question came up, actually, how to um, write Los Angeles. Los Angeles or Los Angeles. So if in what was considered just show this to you. I'm sure there were get in Los Angeles, but this was, according to, uh, this was a get that was Masuder from Rabbi Yehuda Leib Davidson. How they know um, the authors of the Sefer Yovo, Rabbi Rabbi Yitzhak Levin and others, that this was the Rabbi Harishon from Los Angeles. I, we know he was the Rabbi Suvalk, and then he came to Los Angeles. This was in 1918, um, and you can see that here is the way the get was written. Los Angeles, the Miscaria Los Angeles. Now, this is the way Rav, Rav Moshe felt he should write, and this is the way Rav Sanderovich, by the way, says, that every get needs to be, in other words, Nun Dawid Zion Shin is very much the J, right? We, of course, I'm speaking to you from New Jersey, which also uses that sort of combination of the Dalad Zion Shin, as opposed to, right. So, um, this, the, using Reb David C. Hoffman's uh, Yusodos and others, it would seem the reason why this get was uh, written in such a way, spelling Los Angeles this way, um, was because originally the the immigrant community could not, you know, they 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 really couldn't say Los Angeles, so they would say Los Angeles, Los Angeles, which is not the way an Angelino would say it. But eventually, of course, Los Angeles becomes more primary because they get used to how to say it. So that would become the thing. It wouldn't be a miscarry. It would not be the secondary. It would actually be the primary. There's another question about the rivers in Los Angeles. We know, of course, 
from our history of the city that the water rights and how the Los Angeles River was basically dried up and uh, you know, the water supply came from some other places. Um, and uh, you know, so that is also an interesting story. But once again, this question about how to write the name of the city uh, is important. There's an interesting psaac from Moshe Feinstein who said, and this was in the 1970s, that even a get that was written in, uh, for a Sephardi couple, um, and the Sephardim always write, and look in the Gittin, um, the Sephardim actually uh, always wrote it Los Angeles, that's the way they said it. Uh, but Rav Moshe says that since at this point, there is no Sephardic, the Sephardic Shekihil, although it grew crazy, like crazy, in, especially with the influx of Iranian Jews uh, after the fall of the Shah or during that period. Um, still, Rav Moshe said that there isn't enough of a Sephardi community. And if a Sephardi uh, couple comes to LA and unfortunately is involved in a get, he says that you can write the get as the Ashkenazi uh, or the Ashkenazi Minag, because there isn't really yet a Sephardish, uh, there wasn't a Sephardish Shechita yet there. Now I, I'm sure there is. Um, things might be different. But at the time Ramosh issued that psaac in 1976, I think it was, that time uh, the way of writing the get was actually, Ramosh felt should still be Los Angeles with Dalit Zion Shin, as you can see from this get. From 1918, I wanted. Uh, I want to try to do some Los Angeles Jewish. I'm going to start with speaking about Rav Moshe. Let's talk about Rav Moshe's uh, psak um, on uh, Los Angeles. A good Los Angeles psak. I'm going to go with a very quick one. Los Angeles uh, grew by incredible leaps and bounds at the turn of the century. I think I don't know if there's any city that grew from the size in 1880 to 1910 in the United States with the uh, uh, exponential growth as Los Angeles. And people just kept on coming there. Uh, Jews from all over came there, not only for, for obviously for business opportunities, but it was a place Jews from all over the Midwest uh, and from the East Coast. Uh, and clearly, uh, you know, the orthodoxy after World War II uh, just like it was in the rest of America, strengthened itself in Los Angeles to a great degree. Now, it was interesting that two uh, Talmudim of Ravaran Kotler uh, ended up uh, going to Los Angeles. One of them was Rav Zalman Uri, a fellow who had lost uh, Fivishovitz, who had lost, uh, changed his name to Uri. Fivish is in Yiddish for uh, a flame. So he decided to change his name to Zalman Uri. And it was there he was a very respected educator, part of the Board of Jewish Education in Los Angeles. Uh, he kept up a relationship with the G'dayla Yisrael of the time, uh, Rav Hankin, Rav, uh, Rav Moshe, Rav Aaron Kotler, who we had actually gotten smicha from. He'd actually been in Kletz with him. He lost all of his family uh, in, in the concentration camps, but he survived. Uh, he remade his life. He actually went to Washington University in St. Louis and got his uh, degree. And then he became an educational expert for many years. Uh, he sent a question to Ramosha in 1966. And here was the question. Um, 
there was the board of education that he was already connected with. They wanted to have some, many of the Jewish schools were connected to the board of Jewish education. Should they give off Christmas week until New Year's? That was the question. Um, there was a reason for that. The reason for giving off uh, Christmas week was because the teachers, the English teachers want to get off uh, and many of the uh, parents had off and this would be a time that they could have like what's today uh, the mid-winter the winter vacation now again let's see what our information true is and this is the basis by the way of uh the hanhoga of of many yeshiva schools modern yeshiva schools today it was not the hanhoga by the way of mice where i was a teacher in sar but this is from Psak, and you're going to see it so to zalman uri chinuch in los angeles he says, It's also to say that the student shouldn't be going to school. They say, no, we should, we should let them be off from the 26th of December until after Rosh Hashanah, <laughs> meaning after New Year's. Because all the other uh, local schools and school boards are off, it makes sense. Now, obviously, it's not that you're going to have Christmas pageants and parties, but the point is, many of the parents are also uh, able to take off from work, and they want to go. They want to have a, a, a midwinter break. I don't care, Ramesha says. It's usher. And the fact that their kavana is to do, spend good family time, that doesn't take away the usher. Now, I understand that you're going to specifically come in on Christmas. Now, when I think of Christmas, the 25th of December, that was what Rav Zalman Uri said. Look, we, we won't give off Christmas because that definitely sends a thing that Christmas were closed. But the day after, since everyone else is closed, let's make it easy on everyone. He says, that's still a problem, Lisha says. Shall call upon him, by opening up on, 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 on those other days, it gives, Rav Moshe says, the idea to all the Los Angeles community and beyond that these days mean something. And if you give them significance, that is also. And it's also, he says, Because if you think about it, not only is it gives significance in an abstract way. Rav Moshe gets emotional here. He says, you're giving people off on a day that's a celebration of Christianity. Celebrating Christianity. Okay, we're in good relations with them here in America and LA. But look what they have done for us for close to 2,000 years, how they have made our life terrible. And here Rav Moshe reveals something which I think is something that you can see consistently in his writings and his attitude about how he felt of how we were in this country. You never know what could happen. That's why Rav Moshe was very worried about bad citizenship. He felt that, again, the same way what he saw in the Soviet Union and Luban, he wasn't, he wasn't convinced that they won't turn on us. 
Chas v'sholim. And he says this was, uh, he gave this psak on, I assume it's on Parshas Korach, because it says, which I think, of course, is, again, these are the type of throwaway things you see Rav Moshe's brilliance, or Chapi, anyway, because that's the difference between life and death. In other words, the difference between a living religion, a true religion, and a religion that's built on on, on, on Jesus, who obviously, uh, and the whole idea is an idea that leads to death, and therefore we need to stand between them, despite that that was Aaron Cohen who wants to be Oev Shalom, Rodev Shalom, but we have to stand between Hamesim Vahachayim, and that's part of the reason why Ramesh gives this psak. So you would get a sense here from this psak that the Rabbanim uh, that, who were in Los Angeles, the Talmud HaChachamim, who started to um, uh, pop up there and, and becoming very important, were told by their, the leaders of Klaustro, the Gedolim, I don't care, it's the West, we need to stand firm. In some ways, though, they did give some accommodations, and I want to share those with you as well. So first, let's see, this is a tshuva to Rav Henkin, also from Zalman Uri, from 1960. So, Marcheshven And this is a question which, of course, could be dealt with uh, in a whole slew of literature for hundreds, for 150 years before that, and even today. And the question was, Rav Uri wanted to know, in these new communities in Fairfax and other places that were springing up, Hancock Park and other places, can we be Mitzarif Machali Shabbos to the minion? Um, are we allowed? And if the shul that's near your house, if it's basically full of Machali Shabbos, although technically Orthodox, should you daven in that shul? Should we give Machali Shabbos Aliyah to Torah? So, Rav Henkin, and I, and I have to tell you, although there are many Chubas in, in this issue, uh, Rav Hankin's psak here, maybe now with the Rav Hankin's, the reissuing of Rav Hankin's uh, uh, writings, um, that this chuvu will somehow become more, um, a little more prominent, people will know about it. I found it a little bit different, with a little bit of a different spin than what you usually hear, so I want to share it with you. And again, so he says that, yes, first of all, you start with the fact that the Gemara already says that you can be mitzara fenama oretz, to a zimun. Now, an Amoritz is not a Machal Shabbos necessarily, but he doesn't know the laws and probably in many ways is, in a way, guilty of many uh, Averis Beshoge that he doesn't know. But the Gemara says the reason is, at least the Taisus and the Postcom say, we're of them because of Ava. We don't want them to feel so distant from us that they're going to make a bummer for themselves. And he quotes the Gemara and Chagiga that even when it came to Yon Maftaros, eventually they sensed the fact that we were distancing them and they would say, hey, we don't want anything to do with you. So you see that there's a difference between someone who is officially told by the community, you can't, you're in Cherem, and someone who, because of his lifestyle, is different, but in a way feels connected. And in here, he quotes the famous, the, the truth from Yaakov Etlinger and the Binyan Zion, that we see that in our communities, people are Machali Shabbos, are still part of the quote-unquote religious community. They, they support Torah, they give tzedakah, 
they do many mitzvot, so even though they don't keep Shabbos and don't keep Kashras, so the, the Binyan Sia says we can't oser their yayin because they're not like non-Jews. They have, a, they have a perverted sense of what religious life is, but they are part of us. Because he doesn't have the actual language to quote, but he says that's the basic idea. So what is his heter based on? He says, the, he says again, you're living in L.A., Reform there is very strong. Reform was very strong there. The temple was the, the Wilshire, Wilshire Temple was the place was the was the synagogue of the stars. That was a place that was very strong. And you can see, he says, they are Pirish Dereshas Al Kol Yehudim with Pseudo Becherman. So we're fighting for them. Reform is good. They're glossy. They've got the movie stars with them. They've got incredible buildings. We have to be careful that if we have a, a person whose whose parents were somewhat orthodox and he wants to come to an orthodox shul, although he drives <coughs> and he's in the Chal Shabbos, we have to be careful not to push them away. And therefore, we have to halachically say that they are anusim, just like the Psak, the Rambam has by the Karoyim, the Chazanish, of course, used as well. They don't know. I, in Shulchan Aruch, it says that if a person is in a cheirim, uh, who has been outside and known, that we don't take him as a minion, he says there's obviously a logical difference, Ravankin says. If he grows up in a makaminim cheirim, so he, everything around him is orthodox and from, and he decides to be different, so clearly we need to respond. And if we've already declared him out of bounds, then we have to have teeth in our declaration and we can't make him, we can't use him in the minion. But he says, places like LA and other places, as much as orthodoxy is springing up, but it's still surrounded and, and obviously Bali Avera are around. We don't have a, a, a yet a firm orthodox community there that's Shemar Altairas HaKodesh. So he says, any Jew who comes to our shul ain't Baitkanacharov. We don't check out how he drove. Did he drive here? What's he doing at home? And he asks, he says here something that Rabbi Moshe Kleinson says as well, that maybe coming to Shul by being connected to us, he'll do tshuva. Obviously, if he's a grub young in the Shul and he, he flaunts his Chilul Shabbos and gets other people to do stuff, of course, that's someone who we shouldn't necessarily have as part of the minion and speak to him. Now, what about sending him up to Davin? So, um, if he's someone you can talk to, then um, you can at least tell him, look, um, you can say Kaddish, this is your Kaddish, but, you know, come on, you understand in terms of our, our, our uh, requirements for someone who, to become a, the Baal Tefillah. At least he should understand, send him up, <laughs> send him up at, by Ashrei of Olitzio, he says, that you can do. But the main part of the davening, Rav Hankin felt that you should have people who are shamer mitzvahs. Those should be those should be the people that you are having as your baltfilah. But if there's a machlekes, if you realize, hey, I want to daven the whole thing, so Rav Hankin seems to say that you can be mako. Um, he gets into another question here about, you know, should you decide? <laughs> Should you go to a different place to daven? And he says, <coughs> obviously, this, you know, you have to think about this, <coughs> you know, um, 
how bad that shul is if they have uh, a kiddish or everybody's going around kissing all the men and women then that's probably better if that's the type of shul you're talking about one of these you know the fancy shul that uh it's 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 an attack on your uh, religious psyche so he says um then maybe it's better for you to daven biachidus. But if there's no other shul in walking distance, then Rav Hankin says, I'm not sure. Um, because how bad is it what's going on there? And the truth is, Rav Hankin says, that if everybody would take your attitude and decide to sort of like boycott the shul and hope for another shul being built, which probably isn't going to happen, then you're realizing that there's a possibility that you, you and others could maybe make things better. Uh, so that's, uh, again, a very balanced uh, sock that Rav Hankin gives there. Um, in terms of giving them, giving people a Machali Shabbos alias, so Rav Hankin says that um, we know today, uh, based on the Takana that was later instituted, the Chazan is the Baal Kriya. In the time of Chazal, the first person, everybody, everyone who came up to the Sefer Torah were the ones that read themselves. So the first person that read made the Brocha Rishona, and the last person made the Brocha Chrona. Today we have everybody making Brochas, and none of them are actually reading, but we have set up a, a Shriach Tzibor as the Baal Kriya. So Rav Hankin says, based on that, uh, he's not reading for everyone. Um, it's true that they, they are making the bracha, which is the bracha for the community. So Rav Hankin came up with an etzah. He said, you can give them alias, but not the first and not the last. Meaning based on the original takana, it was the first person who gets called up who makes the bracha rishon on the Torah. And then the last person makes the bracha achrona. So even though we've changed that and everybody makes a bracha rishona and a bracha achrona, here, we, again, what's the problem? Rav Hankin was worried that a person who's Machal Shabbos can't be Motzi others. He's worried about that. We can, we can be starving to the minion, but in terms of his tefillah or his bracha counting for you, that might be problematic. So the way you should do it is having someone, the, the first person to get called up should be a religious Jew and the last one. But everybody else, he says, he allows these psukim, he allows these uh, so that I felt was, in a way, understanding that what the West was about. You know, they get the West. As a fact, they get the West, you can see it's a little bit different. Again, it's sort of, I, I, I think Ramesha would have agreed uh, mostly with the content of Rav Hankin's Psaac here. Um, but there's certain things, there's certain lines we don't cross. And like, you know, kowtowing to the Christian culture in terms of dealing with the uh, the non-religious in the best way possible in terms of Macarve, I think Ramesha would have, would have probably Agreed. On this point, I just want to share with you one last uh, tshuva here. Okay. The background for this tshuva is interesting. Uh, we know in 1956, the um, uh, Rivarin Cutler spearheaded uh, the Agudas Harabonim that we talked about earlier, uh, Macha against any sort of shared involvement with institutions like conservative and reform Judaism. 
Uh, specifically, it came up with the New York Board of Rabbis. The New York Board of Rabbis was uh, repre- had representatives of all the different um, uh, denominations, and they, in a way, served as sort of like a board that would deal with the city and the state, uh, and, and having you know a presidium and membership from the different groups. Um, the was there was a great split between the Agudas Arabonim. Uh, and what we know today is the RCA, which was known as the Histadras Arabonim in Hebrew. And the RCA felt, and there were many of their RCA rabbis, the younger American-trained rabbis, who were part of the board of rabbis. And they would have, of course, meetings where they would deal with conservative reform rabbis. The Gudas Arabonim felt that this had to stop. And they, and they also wanted to attack something called the Synagogue Council of America. The Synagogue Council of America was also a, a way to sort of, especially in dealing with the Christians and others in the United States, to have sort of a unified voice representing the different denominations. Uh, just like Rav Shamshin Hirsch and others and the Neologi, uh, Neologian uh, controversies in Hungary, the Agudas Arabonim felt that any sort of branding and sitting together with them uh, conveys upon them a, uh, a, 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 a aspect of authenticity, and we can't do that. And therefore, uh, they needed they needed the people. They had to resign from the New York Board of Rabbis, and it was Osir Becherim Gomer. Now, the problem here was that Zalman Uri was a Talmud of Rav Aaron Kotler, and he had gotten a position, and he was offered a position, in the Board of Jewish Education in Los Angeles, which had, uh, like, the Federation, and had under it a number of schools, including uh, conservative and, 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 and other schools that were not orthodox at all. So the board of the, uh, uh, the board of education is that, isn't that, I mean, it, it has representatives from all these different uh, uh, org, uh, congregations and uh, denominations. This is a, a Parnassa for Zalman Uri. He's, no, he, he's, he's not just going to be a teacher. This is a managerial position, a position that he actually did eventually hold for many, many years. And people credit him for really helping the community a lot and being a great standout person in this way. But does the Isser that Rav Aaron spearheaded, does it apply to being part of a, a sort of like an umbrella school system where you're actually, in a way, working with uh, schools that are representative of reform and conservative? So this was his question. That's what he says. This is a, a school board, a school, like a, a school umbrella organization, and everybody has a seat at the table. So Rav Aaron says, based on what I understand, your job is going to be is that because you're Orthodox, and obviously a Talmud Chacham as well, your job in the Board of Jewish Education, which is uh, which has members of all the denominations, of all the different strands, but your job is going to be to be involved with the Orthodox schools and the yeshivos. Now, because the yeshivos, if they wanted to, they could pull out. 
but they will get certain benefits by being part of the umbrella organization in terms of benefits for the teachers, in terms of other sorts of issues, in terms of monies that can be funneled to them through the federation. So you're going to be the one who's going to be the liaison specifically for the, for the religious ones. Now, all of these schools were already part of this board of Jewish education. Now, here's my uh, psaac to you, Rav Aaron Cutler wrote. If you're going to have atzmos benogeya lechinach l'tar if your job will give you independence to, to train, to teach, and what's going to be the level of learning, and in general, the spiritual level of those, of those schools, and you're not going to kowtow to whatever the, the heads of the board of Jewish education are saying, but they're giving you independence, then ain't, that is not connected to the issue we made on the rabbeim and, and, and synagogues. It's different. Now, Rav Aaron then writes, and I want you to know, that it isn't just an American uh, uh, American sort of canoyus, uh, American zealotry. <laughs> but all the owner of America's show agreed with what we did. He says, what we were worried about was a vad rabboni mishutov. What we were worried about is a partnership, a board of rabbis. And the fact is that when you have a synagogue council, you are making a, uh, you, you, you are creating a, a commonality between the synagogues. What that means is, he says, you give them respectability, even though we know what they're about. Once again, you can see, uh, you know, what Rav Ara, not against the Christian world like Rav Moshe, but against the reform, uh, which Rav, Rav Henkin says, of course, is a powerful force that's drawing them away. But you can see Rav Aaron's language is very strong. Because that's what they're about, taking Claudius from taking them away from God. They're taking, and I think I would have to say, despite his sharp language, he's correct. <laughs> that that type of Judaism leads to complete assimilation. So, but that's not here. That's not what's going on here. Now, the second factor is <laughs> they're already part of this board. Right now, if they're already here, part of this board, and we're not going to get them to uh, to disconnect. So, you can make things better. You can make things better. And again, it's a little bit of a <laughs> you have to wonder here. You're going to make things better. So, the Isser that we gave is not part of that. But you should be honest with yourself and see: Are you going to make things better? Are you going to become uh, a toady for what they want? True, it's a nice job. You're going to get a little bit more money, maybe a lot more money. But will you be independent in terms of what you can do as the liaison or as the organizer from the board, as the agent of the board, in terms of what you can uh, decide should happen in these schools? The other thing you have to worry about is there are other schools that have decided not to be part of that board of Jewish education. Hasidic schools, other chadar, they're not part of it. So you have to understand maybe by what you're doing, it's possible those other schools will suffer. And people that are teachers in those schools and those schools growing. So you need to, about this job, you have to be careful, honest about what the job is, 
but also possibly by your involvement, you might be weakening those other schools that have decided not to take advantage of being part of the Federation on the board. Now, you asked, that's not, that wasn't your question. Your question is, is the psaq that we gave, the Gudasarabonim and others, does that include this? It does not. Now, obviously, another thing by you leaving this job is you're going to leave your position as a principal or a teacher in the yeshiva. So, you need to be honest as well. So you, didn't, you didn't ask me about that, but you have to be honest. Maybe your, your school is going to lose a great teacher. I know your parnos is more, but that's also something which needs to be thought about. Um, and um, he ends Rav Aaron by saying, Rav Aaron Cutler ends by saying that you should definitely, I know that you're going to try and you should try to bring into the yeshivas and the, the Talmud Torahs and try to take guys from the yeshiva world, <laughs> um, which, of course, Rav Aaron and others were, were promoting. So try to get these students, whether from Tells or Lakewood or other places, and try to get them positions in these places. And the other thing you're going to have to impress out there in L.A. is there should be more Gemara learning. There isn't enough yet. You, as a bentor, as a person who loves learning Gemara, you should try to get those type of rebellion that will that will uh, that will implant in those schools how important learning Gemara is. A hammer always wants to hit a nail. Rosh Hashiva wants his Talmudim to have jobs, but he also wants them, even though it's out in LA, to be able. So, so I think that both all, both all three of these really get a sense of of what the West was about, what out of town was about. And I think Ravaron, is he being elastic? In some ways, yes. In terms of him saying where, you know, where the Isser of being connected to this, you know, to the others apply. My good friend Rav David Katz says to me that Ravaron was famous for this, for being able to uh, know, um, you know, how uh, to be publicly the lion, but privately to be able to give advice in a way that uh, was beneficial. He didn't stand uh, so uh, so strongly in his ideological uh, 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 concrete shoes that he wasn't going to move. And I think his hayra his here was something which, of course, benefited the Los Angeles community uh, for many, many years. The last... Uh, L.A. Tshuva, which is really, I think, not so much about what were the Machanachim doing vis-a-vis the non-religious community, but I think really in a way spells sort of like you can get the, you can get the spirit of Los Angeles here. The same way I think Rev. Laser Silver's Tshuva gave you the spirit of what was happening in Cincinnati at the time. I think this one gives you a sense of at least 
two local Jews in LA. I'm assuming this was in Malibu or one of these wonderful um, places where you can actually have a piece of property on the Pacific Ocean. And the tshuva I'm going to go through with you, uh, it was written by, uh, I, I think he might have the title Av Bezdin now. Um, at this point, at that time when he wrote this, he was the Dayan of the Bezdin Tzedek. Um, now this is the Bezdin Tzedek in Los Angeles, which I am told also includes uh, Rav Nochem Sauer uh, and Rav Gershon Bess. Both of those men uh, I, I, I have I had disclosed to speak to and, and ask questions to throughout the years. This tshuva was written by Rav Michoel, by Rav Rav Michoel Union, who I had the pleasure of talking to briefly. Uh, and um, uh, he is a, as you can see, he's able to put this material. The question was, two Jews came. They're both wealthy. Uh, they have beach uh, front homes. And the problem is, is that let's call one, um, I don't know, let's call one uh, Louis and the other Harvey. Okay. Um, okay. So Louis, they both, Louis and Harvey both have beachfront houses. Louis has now uh, done some uh, improvements to his house. And Harvey's not happy about that. As he says, these are villas that are worth millions and millions of dollars. The property in Los Angeles is obviously very, very expensive, uh, especially beachfront property. And Harvey's got three problems with Louie. The first one is Louie built a huge deck um, or balcony or a deck outside one of his rooms. And from that deck, it gives Louie a view into Harvey's bathroom, especially the shower area of Harvey's house. Second uh, thing was that extending the deck out that way actually blocks Harvey's view, the complete beautiful view of the ocean that he wanted. Harvey says, as he brings the case to Besson, that Anybody who buys a house there, although the homes themselves were luxurious, it's because of the beach ocean view that it has. And therefore, in a way, you're damaging my ability to have the type of house I want. My house and the value of the house is the quality of its view. That quality has been diminished. The third one, which is what Rev Union feels is the most interesting part of the question, which is the fact that um, he not only added uh, the deck, but he also, in the backyard, um, he uh, put up a, uh, a fence. And that fence blocks the main road in front of the house. I guess it goes on a circle, the road. And that fence there causes, especially in terms of, I guess they're not really next door neighbors. (laughs) So because of that fence, Harvey is not able to see the road the way it should be. Um, Now, there had already been another fence there, a wooden fence, and he changed it to some other material. But he says, I can't see. Harvey says when he pulls his car out, he cannot see the road as he did before. And 
uh, as Harvey came with evidence to the Besdin that this was a road that has many accidents, and this is actually, by putting up that fence, he's now not able to pull out. The street in front of this Malibu strip, uh, the, the cars race all the time, and having a clear sight of what's going on is very important. So, um, so Louie has basically not allowed Harvey uh, to see and could cause Harvey's damage, could, could cause Harvey's death in an accident. That was his case in Besden. And again, I'm just very impressed that they came to Besden in the first place. That shows something about the strength of, uh, of you know, the power of the Besden there. So, so the first thing that Rav Union and, and, and the Dionym there uh, describe is the fact that you have a right, if you own property, to use it in a way that is normal. And even though we know normal use does bother other people, even if they were there first. And he quotes a number of chuvas to show that. He, he mentions the, 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 uh, the, the succinct uh, synopsis of the Chazanish about this, that a person, Rishoy Odom, lived knows bias Eitzel Chavero, you, you can move next to someone. You've got a huge family. You know they make noise. You know the kids are up at night. And even though the guy next door has got a heart condition, he can't stop you. Because that's what life is. It's not unusual life. Life with children means that. And you can't, the man has no case in Besden to say, hey, these kids are making noise. I can't sleep at night. I was here first. Basically, what it means is, is that you own a piece of property, you bought it, you use it like a normal person, even though it causes a problem for the person next door. And that's not called a mazik. He develops this idea, right? and he says that we know the Gemara and Basra and other uh, scribes things that's called nizcheshchenen. Things that people who live next door need to be able to do, and they, and, and, and even though normal, right? And we say no, you can't do that. That's that is in a way undermining your next door neighbor. Um, what does that mean when the rabbis tell us that you can't, um, uh, you have no right? We call it a nezek. Is it really called a nezek? He says, is is it one of the four principles ways that you you damage another person so the great Rabbi Yaakov Loberbaum in his Nesivas Amishput says that obviously you can use your, your chotzer um, and we know that using your chotzer means as we said before with the Chazanish you can do a lot of things which means you can cut trees you can decide to become a bee uh a person who, 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 who is a bee handler. Now, you are potter from Dawud of Mazikin because it's not like you didn't watch your animal. You use things and you decide that you, you're a certain sort of unique person. You like to, uh, you, you want to have, uh, uh, you want to develop bees. That's your, that's your choice. He quotes Ravaran Cutler, who we just mentioned before in the Sefer Mishnah Saran. And he says, We know that the halacha gives us a list of things that you can't do, and it's considered a nezek, quote-unquote. But he says it's not really nezek, because 
anything which, there's certain things Chazal felt were abnormal. But they didn't, they weren't able to call that a mazik. It's a special uh, takana that the rabbis have. But when they're telling you, stop doing that, they did not say, you really hurt him. You really caused him a loss. Basically, it's a special a special institution the rabbis made, but they didn't make it part and parcel of natural law of you are damaging the other person. For the sake of shalom, for the sake of better communities, this is what they developed, but they did not organically treat it and understand it to be included in a form of damage. He quotes here the Rush, who says earlier that you, if you do something to, to make your property better, even though that causes the other person's property to be less, that isn't called mazik. The Rush says there are certain laws that are in the books. If you keep them, that's okay. But if you've kept them, even though you cannot extrapolate, which is really the point, it isn't a determination that this is called mazik. It's a certain rules of principles, and we don't have the muscle to add to that today. Based on this, the Bezdin, and this is mostly Rabbi Union, says that now we understand what is the idea that it's in the beginning of Baba Basra, that you can't, you have to build a wall between uh, neighbors, so you can't look at what the other person is doing. What does that mean? That you have to build the wall, and we can make you build the wall, and make you pay for the wall, so you shouldn't see what the other person is doing. What does that mean? So, there are some that say that when you're looking at someone, that person feels violated. And that, in a way, is considered by the rabbis as a hezek. You, you've violated his problem. You've violated his privacy. Now, if that's what it is, um, then you're a mazik. But Revisor Zalman Meltzer says, in his Sefer Evanesim, here he's quoting another of the, the Gedele Yisrael of the Rosh Hashivas, he says that it's not that you're being mazik it's not that, oh, he saw me. It's like he hit me. That's not what the rabbis are saying. The rabbis are saying that we believe that when a person owns a home, he has certain rights of usage. And if other people can see him going to the bathroom or, or, or washing dishes or, or sitting comfortably with his wife, whatever it is, that limits the other person's ability to use their house the way they'd like to. And therefore, the rabbi said that one, that's what Hezekiah is. It's not a mazik. What it is, is letting the other person have the usage of his home the way we think he should be able to. And that, but it's not like you were mazik. Okay, based on this understanding, he says, let's get to our case. 
So the Mishnah does say that you're not supposed to block someone, that I've got a window, or I'm going to put my window here. The Gemara says it's because, oh, you're looking into his window. So it would seem that in the case of our Malibu neighbors, the person is now able to look into his shower. What happened in Besden, though? In Besden, we talked about Harvey and Louie. Okay. So what was it that Harvey, uh, what was it that Louie answered back? Louie said like this. First of all, even before I built the, uh, the, the deck, I can see him even before that. I can, I can look into that window where his shower was. Now, up until now, he never said anything. I could see, even from my living room window that the deck is an extension of, I can see into that shower area. So what's going on now? It's clear that Harvey is just upset at me because we've had other issues between us, and therefore he decided to use Besden as a way to just take out his anger. Now, um, and I had total rights from the city of Malibu to, to extend it. I've got the, I, I did the proper work. They gave me the props that I can actually build. And therefore, this was not considered a violation of city code. Now, so the Besden was figuring, okay, what's going on here? Hmm, is there a Chazaka now? It's a Chazaka. In other words, up until now, you can look even though you don't want people looking in your in your in your in your shower, but it seems like you allowed me to have this house where I can look into your shower up until now. So, don't I have? Isn't that a proof that you, in a way, have been mochel? You've you've forgiven me for this. You're allowing me to have it. You've given me a dispensation for it, and I've been here for years as your neighbor, and you never said anything. So here they said, look. Um, it's still a, not a nice thing. Um, he doesn't want it now. You know what? You're going to have to build, uh, Louis, you're going to have to build a, a wall on your deck that you can't stare, even though maybe from your living room you can stare, but from your deck, he doesn't like that. You got to build a wall there. Now, what about the fact that Harvey said he doesn't have the, the beach look, the look on the beach that he had before? Um, so here, it's a very interesting machlokas that the Besdin brings up from Rav Levi Ibn Chaviv, who was the Rav of Yerushalayim in the 16th century, and the poskim who, who, who rely on Rabbeinu Tan. The Gemara says that in the Sugim Baba Basra, that a shochen has a right, a neighbor has a right to say to the other neighbor that about his garden and about his and he says, by you building your wall there of your house, you're making it darker for me. And what does that mean, you're making it darker for me? Rabbeinu Tam, Rashi's grandson, says that making it dark means that I can't see as far as I'd like to see. So you see that if up until this point I was living this way, and now I'm not able to, that is included in one of the dispensation rules of the Gemara Mavavasra, which would be binding even here in Los Angeles. 
So Rebbe Vnukhoviv in his Chuba writes that I don't think the Rebbeinu Tam is right. <laughs> Rebbe Vnukhoviv himself was a very uh, important personality, and of course he uh, he did not cal- he did not bend to anyone. Uh, he, as we know in the Smicha controversy uh, of the 16th century, he refused to go along with what was considered like this incredible wave of rabbis that wanted to reinstitute Smicha. And he says, "No, I'm not going to uh, accept that." And here too, he didn't mind. Uh, disagreeing with Rabbeinu Tam. First of all, he said, it could be the case in Baba Basra, and you're making it dark for me. Maybe it means that he had holdings, he had land, and he wanted to look at his crops. And therefore, by blocking the view, he's not seeing it as well, and people could come and steal stuff. Now, you know what you want to say, Rabbeinu Tam means that I would just like to view this. This is a view that I believe I'd like to have, the Bach says, I didn't find it in any of the other classic commentators of that period. And therefore, despite the greatness of Rabbeinu Tam, I consider it a Das Yochen. Now, they, he points out that um, uh, in, the, in the generation of, at least I think it was probably um, the, uh, it might have been the generation before or after, uh, Ramosha Mitrani says that he thinks Rabbeinu Tam is right, the Mabit. And therefore, if it's even though all it's about is not being able to see the view you had before, that would be part of the Bavavasra legislation that would hold true and anywhere. Um, the uh, Berjana Rav, Shalom Mordechai, uh, was also felt that in the cases that occurred in Europe, he sided halachically with those that said that if a neighbor builds a house that blocks the view, that is uh, that Rabbeinu Tam's uh, interpretation of the Gemara can be considered primary and you wouldn't have a right to do it. But the Marshams admitted that if the neighbor refuses and says, I'm coming to Besden and I hold like the other Rishonim, it's very hard to take money away from him to make him pay uh, to knock down his house or do something like that because whenever you have a case in a court case like this, and one side could always say, you want to take money from me or you want to force me to lose money, I learn up the sugya that you're basing your argument against me like someone else. That's called kimle. Um, what was interesting was that Rav Union and Rav Gershon and Rav Nochem Sauer took a trip out to Malibu. <laughs> and they took out of Malibu and they went over there to see was it true? How how limited was uh, Harvey's view of the ocean? And they said, you know, you could see it pretty well. And they said it was nedar. It was beautiful what they saw. Okay, it's true. Because of the deck, they couldn't see it from every, from every angle. So therefore, <laughs> and this is a beautiful thing of what Besden is supposed to do. You go out to the site and you check it out. We did it again in the cases that I was Zoha to be. That was part of the thing that we did as well. We tried to go to the homes when we had construction issues. We knew that was the best thing to do. When you go there, you can see what's going on. Um, the last case, I think, is also it tells you a little bit about traffic and about LA in general. The question was, um, what about the fact that by pulling his car out, he can't pull his car out anymore. He's got to be careful the, 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 what's going on in terms of accidents. Um, but then he raised another issue. The other issue that he raised was 
that he was willing, if he's not going to get his way, uh, Harvey, um, he was going to take the he was going to go to the city board in Malibu and show them that this wall that blocked the road was not according to code. And that would put, bring the authorities in. So he says, okay, here we're not talking, here we're talking about something pretty important. Um, we're talking about perhaps dying in an accident. So this sounds like it isn't just, I didn't, I couldn't see it. It sounds like by you doing this, you're causing me a possible sakona. What was Louis's answer? So first of all, Louis said that they've been that they've been neighbors for four years. He broke down the wood fence and replaced it with a fence of a different material of the same height. But the wood fence was there with the same height, blocking it all this time. And therefore, nothing has changed. The other thing was, before they got angry with each other, um, Louis had come over to Harvey and said, hey, you know what, uh, this fence, uh, you're okay with me knocking it down? I'm going to put up a different fence. And he said, okay. Why is it that now he's bringing him to Besden? Because he's upset. And therefore, he's using this as a cudgel against him. Louis also said, look, I understand that uh, he feels that with this fence, it's danger. But you know what you can do? This is what he said in the best. And just take your car out very close. You take it out slowly. You look both ways, right? The problem is everybody wants to pull out a Malibu. They want to pull out like, you know, like they're in the Fast and the Furious. Like they're pulling out the Mustang and they want to pull it out as quick as possible. Therefore, he says, it isn't like a Sakana that's happening all the time. Okay. Okay. If that's true. <laughs> um, then Louis said, look, I agree. It's not like code. But you know what? Here's the secret, rabbis. Every, all of these homes in Malibu, people build. True. When you want to put a, an addition, that's such a big deal. But all these fences, none of them are like code. And the city knows it. Now, the city will get involved if the neighbors decide to decide to uh, they decide to make an issue of it. Now, so this is an interesting case. Now, um, are you allowed to nobody, nobody, no one demands the code. Um, but um, but sometimes now, if he wants to, he can bring in. So question the best had was first of all does he have a chazoka because hey i had it there the whole time on this the Bezdin did their research and determined that there are certain types of situations which we call that you can't say hey why why now are you upset for many years i was doing this and you didn't say anything the Gemara explains what they are. The Gemara gives two examples. One of them is called um, steam or ash or, 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 or that, that comes out from cooking. And the other is, or, or other sorts of using of, of fireplaces. And the other is the smell that comes out of the bathroom. The dirt and the smell. 
even though for years you were okay with it, now you can say, look, I, I can't take it anymore. And you can force the person to uh, remove the bathroom or, uh, or stop cooking in that area. Why is, why is what we call kutra and besakise, why are they different? So there's a, 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 a discussion. The Ramban says the reason is, is because, look, they hurt your body. The, 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 the smoke gets in your eyes. It affects you personally. And therefore, the smell, these, these, you, you, you process them. You process them and they hurt you. Now, it's true, up until now it was okay. But you can't say a human body changes. Your ability to withstand something changes. And now it bothers me. I can't stand the smell anymore. So you can't say, oh, you have a chazoka. When it comes to money, you could say, look, you didn't mind. You didn't mind that it was worth less. You can't all of a sudden say, well, now I need money. Now you need money? Before, for years, you said I can get away with this and it didn't bother you. That is a mechila. But on a person, what happens to a person's body, a person could say, look, I'm not the same person anymore. It bothers, it hurts me now. You got to stop it. That's the Ramban's interpretation. Based on the Ramban, the Ritzvah says, that anything which we know hurts the body and we know it's normal for a person not to be able to deal with it even though for years you were able to you can change your mind and force your neighbor to uh, to to stop doing that that's the Ramban and the Ritva the Rambam however writes that the reason these are different is because people don't like them. We don't assume that you were mochel even before, even though for years you didn't speak up, because we know people really don't, don't like smells in the bathroom. And also, the Rambam says, Hezek on Hezek Kavua. The Hezek is continuous. So the Rabbanim wanted to think like this. If you say, like the Ramban, that it's about a hezek to your body. This is not really a hezek to your body. Why? You, you, you pull your car out slowly. It's not a hezek to your body. But if you say it's the type of thing that is problematic consistently, <laughs> you could say, I consistently now have to get in my car and drive it slower, and I have to be ultra careful when I wasn't before. I have to do that every single day. So maybe, according to the Rambam, that would be something that you that, that I know for years I said nothing, but it is clearly making things uncomfortable for me. The Besden, though, at the end rejected that. They said that it's not constantly, if you want to pull out of your driveway, right, that, and you want to go driving, that's when it happens. Who says you have to drive? Take a walk on the beach. Or go in a time when, 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 when it's a low traffic period. When there's a lot of traffic, okay? So it turns out you have to go out very slow. The other thing is, is that when it comes to smell or smoke, you can't stop it. Now, when once it penetrates, it penetrates. 
but this is really your decision to get in the car and to pull it out. It's not like it's a definite thing that's happening. So, based on that, the Rabbanim says there really is no uh, basis to say that we're going to force, it was four years, you didn't say anything, you don't have to take the fence down. What about the threat that Harvey made to take it to the city? Now, remember, it's on the books. Since it's on the books, he has a right to take it to the city. Can he? Here, the Besden brought up uh, an interesting machlokas between Rabbi Yosef Kalon, one of the last of the Rishonim, and one of the first of the Achron and the Beis Yosef. Rabbi Yosef Kalon, the case was the following. Um, there was a, a certain uh, burg, a certain person who was a, uh, he had certain talents and he had certain qualities. Uh, he was a certain professional and he wanted to come to live in a certain city. He wanted to come to this city. Um, the neighbors didn't want him. They felt he'd be so popular there in terms of the work he could do that they would lose their parnosa. Even though, you know, it's a big enough city, there's enough room for everybody. So what they wanted to do was to go to the Gentile authorities to stop this guy from moving in. Alpitori, he could move in. They wanted to stop him from becoming, uh, having the rights to live in this town. Rabbi Yosef Cologne said they have the right to do that. Rabbi Yosef Cairo says, I can't believe it. The man has a, the Torah gives you a right to move wherever you want. And now you're going to use Gentile authorities? What's going on? So what did the Marik mean? Rabbi Yosef Cologne was a great man. We, we bring him down all the time. Is, is Rabbi Yosef Cologne opening the door to always go to the gentle authorities and get whatever you want? So the Chazanish says, when he was thinking, of, when we talked about that, he says, look, the Marik, of course, agrees that you shouldn't use the Gentile authorities to stop someone to do something based on Torah. But the reason why the Marik allowed it is because there is a separate rule in this town that Marik was talking about. The city wasn't just under the protection of the authorities. The city was really owned by that king or that duke. And therefore, since they own it, the Jews that lived there were just, in a way, temporary renters of the spot. So um, that is the ultimate authority there. They own it and control it with an actual owning. So therefore, you can't say, well, the rules of the Torah are I can live wherever I want. No, this is the world of that duke. And since we feel by you coming here, we're going to lose something, we don't have to necessarily say, oh, we're, we're going against the Torah by going to the authorities. This is, we're all living here by the largesse and by the, by, by the, by the um, allowance, because it's their home. 
It's like we're just like we're just like allow. It's a boarding house that he owns. The reason the Beis Yosef disagreed is because he was afraid that people would use this where authorities are just basically elected or meant to control, but but they aren't necessarily the complete total dominators of the area. And that, of course, nobody would want that. Um, to, to use uh, the authorities to, to try to push for your own agenda. That is what the Chazanish says. Well, based on the Chazanish, we know that the authorities don't own the city. They have been elected. And to maybe deal with laws that are on the books if somebody pushes for them. Therefore, it would seem that to go to the authorities would be a problem. It would seem that if, if, if Harvey goes to the authorities after years of Pitora, he has no right. He was okay with it. He allowed it. It was there for years. He just now wants to use the, 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 the city codes to be able to do that. Then that would be using the authorities against him. That would be a case of Mazik. Harvey would be being Mazik Louis. So, and by going to the authorities, it might not be called Mesira of like, you know, telling on a Jew, because clearly, you know, they're not going to do anything more than just make him. Uh, knock down the wall or cut it down. But it would seem that that would be considered um, a, that would that would be considered a, a, a very non-halachic approach and the Besden told him it was also for him to do that. So basically <laughs> in this case in the Malibu Machlokas uh, Harvey loses almost completely. But I thought that it, I thought that the, the the case really I think brings up I don't know I I, I sense L A in this case more than I do you know <laughs> I don't you know, maybe this could happen on the Jersey Shore but I think this this case has that L A aspect to it and you can see that the work that Rav Moshe and Rav Hankin and Rav Aaron were worried about about building up L A as a place of Tyra. Boy, <laughs> this is a different, when you have a Besden that's able to rule and explain and, uh, and be mutter in such a way, I think you have a proof of how far they've come. And they're able not only to have a place that Jews can, can deal with their issues together, but also able to reason about it in a way that's part of, of the great brilliance of, of Torah thought. And which shows that, oh boy, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen there. Uh, They're in good hands. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.